The EFL, all the clubs are being closed down. It's like they were the city of Coventry in the time of the specials. Ask your parents, kids. Barry and Bolton, we still got you. Meanwhile, managers are getting sacked mere weeks into the season. See you later, Jan. It wasn't us, it was you. All that, plus we look back at a Tuesday night that saw more comebacks than the Spice Girls and John Burridge combined. This is the Totally Football League show. Substitution for the Totally Football League show, replacing number nine, Caroline Barker. Please welcome perennial number 12, Matt Davis-Adams. Thanks for that warm welcome. Yep, it's me, Matt. I'll be popping up sporadically throughout the season, so you're just going to have to make peace with that, I'm afraid. Alongside me today, two ex-pros, now pundits, who, as you'll know if you saw the picture they posted from the Hawthorns last week, have fabulous teeth, paid for by what can only be described as footballer money dentistry. First up, a man who's been celebrating the 21-year anniversary of the time he scored twice in the space of three days for South End in their wins against Shrewsbury, brackets league, and Gillingham, brackets cup. Hello, Adrian Clark. <laughs> Someone's done their research. <laughs> Next, you'll know him off the telly. Freakily enough, like Adrian, he also scored on the 15th and 18th of August at one point in his illustrious career. His were back in 09, both pens, one of which rescued a point for Warsaw in injury time against South End. neither of which, I'm guessing, were executed Lyle Taylor a slow walk-up style. Nerves of steel from 12 yards. It's Sam Parkin. One of the worst penalty takers in EFL history, I would suggest I was. Dreadful. Wow. But you got two in as many games. Uh, Sam, what are Gary Rowett's trainers like up close and in person? They were nice and I thoroughly enjoyed his company, to be honest. Sorry to break that to you, being a, a forest man, but... Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Stories of plenty were exchanged in on Saturday afternoon. I used to be the voice of Gary Rowett. Really? Yeah. How so? Ghost wrote his column <laughs> on his personal website because that was the way things used to be done back in the day when personal websites were, were the thing. So, yeah, when he, was, when he was a player, I used to phone him up every week and have a chat. And then I'd turn that chat into his words. So a personal website, but not really that personal because really? he didn't do it. Okay, uh, one more face to introduce. I say face. If you Google image his name, you get pictures of Boris Johnson, Will Young, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Tom Hardy. He's not any of those, but he knows a lot about Bolton and odds. Good morning, Joe Crilly. Morning. Seeing as we're with you, Joe, let's talk Bolton. No match last night because of player welfare issues. The EFL released this statement on Monday night. The EFL understands the challenging position the club currently finds itself in whilst negotiations continue over its purchase. However, it would have expected the club to have first interfaced with the EFL, giving it an opportunity to consider the application to postpone and consulted with the club's opposition, Doncaster Rovers, before making a public announcement. Interfaced? I'm sorry, EFL, but that sounds like management speak. I know you hate that. Uh, Seriously, though, Joe, there must be real concern about completing this season now. There are concerns as to whether the team will fulfil the season. And if they do, how many points will they finish on? Still points to be taken off after the postponement of the Brentford game. Now this game, I can envisage another 10 points being docked, which will leave Bolton now on minus 24 points. And it's not much fun. It's not much fun for the players. I I understand, and I know Adrian's got reservations about this, but I understand why the club decided to call the game off the the matter or the way in which they went about it was perhaps well it wasn't perhaps it was wrong but I understand why the game was called off and if they get to a situation we know the Football League is Saturday Tuesday Saturday Wednesday more often than not and if the players can't play two games in four days then there's going to be a game every other week being postponed and that's going to be another set of points deducted so they they may as well just throw in the towel now if that's the case The, the takeover is lingering on and it's to do with the hotel. I can't understand why there are two separate administration companies looking after the hotel and the football club because ultimately nobody would want to get involved in that hotel. There's a Premier Inn or a Holiday Inn across the road from the ground. Why would somebody want to get involved in that hotel without an interest in the football team? So just give it to the guys that want to buy the, the club. Include that in the package and everybody's happy. We can get the season going and teams won't be missing out on income uh, because Bolton Wanderers won't be playing games against them. And the fans can finally have a semblance of understanding of what's actually going on at the club at the moment. Adrian, anything to well, say? Well, look, it's the, it's the EFL's fault in, in, in some degree for allowing this situation to go on before the start of the season or after the start of the season, rather, because that's, that's my issue with it. The, all of this should have been done before the start of the season. I don't think any team should be allowed to start a campaign in administration with no players. I don't think that should have happened. My issue is that... Tramir had a free run at Bolton's kids. 
battered them 5-0. Lucky, obviously, on their part that they had the chance to do that. Yeah, Doncaster, a few days later, they denied the chance to pick up goal difference, three points. Later on down the line, hopefully this takeover, hopefully they will survive and hopefully the takeover will go through. Hopefully Bolton will be flushed with money and be able to sign loads of good players. And then the other sides in League One will then face a very different Bolton side to the one that Tranmere faced and the other teams earlier on this season. It's a disgrace, really. And I, I do think, even though I understand welfare issues with young players, I feel that was a slight excuse and that you can play. You know, when you're 18, 19, you're pretty fit. And they've got more than 11, 18, 19-year-olds in that academy. They could have fielded a team that wasn't going to damage those kids. Don't buy into the mental damage, um, really. And I'm not, uh, yeah, I think that's an excuse. So, so no, I, I just think it was, it was really wrong that, that Bolton were allowed to pick and choose their games. Is that oh. it? See you next week. <laughs> <laughs> More EFL and Berry chat later, of course, when we get into League One. Uh, pop quiz for you now. Multiple choice. Does the EU currently legislate on marine plants and animals, competition rules, or football laws? According to Sam's dad, his joke, not as Ian Holloway, it's uh, all of the above, seriously. Let's move on quickly from that political <laughs> junction. Uh, Wayne asks, how far can you get through the pod before mentioning double European Cup winners Nottingham Forest? Got a sweep going here. It's actually two-time European champions Nottingham Forest. Come on, Wayne. Uh, it took around six minutes. I had seven, so that's disappointing. Uh, let's get cracking then. Championship first. You're listening to the Totally Football League show in association with William Hill. And your championship headlines look like this. Huddersfield are looking for a new manager after their 2-1 loss to Fulham on Friday night. That was the straw which broke the Terriers back as Jan Sievert was sacked after achieving a solid one win in seven months. Maybe Martin from Wakefield would have been a better appointment. On Tuesday, Middlesbrough finally got their first win under Woodgate. And Thomas Frank, what kind of goal did you concede to Hull on Saturday? The disappointing thing is that we conceded a goal, I would say. Um, we need to do that, that better. Thanks, Thomas. Very frank. Huddersfield chat then. Sam, they had no choice really, did they? Should they have just cut bait before the end of last season? Yes, quite possibly. Um, I know Mark Hudson was there, obviously, and I think he took charge of one game. I know Dean Whitehead's there as well. Probably there was a case to to put those two guys in towards the back end of the season. Uh, Certainly to get someone in in situ this year who knows the, the league better. I think the problem is, you know, with other clubs that we've seen in similar scenarios, you've seen a type, a style, a brand of football that a new manager's trying to get into his side. I don't think that has been apparent at Huddersfield. I think there's a real lack of creativity and goals there. And Adrian very kindly interviewed me on his show at the weekend about this exact subject. And I just think someone who can go in there and keep it tight and be quite pragmatic and try and win a lot of games 1-0 would probably be the way forward. Usually, Clarky, when somebody gets sacked, you feel a bit sorry for them. But, I mean, he was rubbish. He could have no argument at all, could he? No, there were, there were no signs that they were going to be able to turn it around. They thoroughly outplayed, weren't they, by, by Fulham, who were unlucky to only win it by two goals to one. So, no, the, the recruitment was, was, was very average. A lot of the players that he brought in for quite good money didn't really get into the starting lineup either. I thought they were very one-dimensional without Carlin Grant. Mm. I think since he took over the top scorer would be on one. So, that's, I mean, that's, it's remarkable, really, the, the, the lack of firepower, the lack of creativity, the, the, the lack of clear philosophy, as Sam rightly points out. So, so, no, they had to make the change. Are they going to suddenly be able to score tons of goals? No. So, yeah, absolutely, a pragmatic manager is, is a must because they're not going to win 3-2, 4-3-2 often Huddersfield Town. Uh, Joe Clarkey thinks pragmatic manager. We talk about potential replacements. Uh, I'm thinking Sol Campbell, Chris Hewton. Uh, Mike Tolberg is the current coach of the Borussia Dortmund B team. So <laughs> he's, not being the frame, he's in with a shout, definitely, uh, isn't it? Who else is up in the running? Uh, so Mark Hudson is the favourite at 6-4. There's kind of like a top three and then a bit of a gap to Sol at eight to one fourth favourite. Uh, Chris Hewton is the second favourite at two to one with Nigel Adkins four to one. Should they just hire Tony Pulis for the season, secure up a mid-table mediocrity and then have a go with a new plan? I mean, it didn't work for Middlesbrough, but Pulis is quite terrier-like, so synergy. Uh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I think I think the Cowleys are going to get probably linked with this job. And I think the Sheffield Wednesday job, I've got a feeling that that might be a good fit, although Lee Bullen's obviously 
doing fantastically well and I remember playing against Lee and he seemed like a very likeable guy, knows the club. It's going to be hard not to give him the job, but I'd be surprised if one of these clubs don't come calling for the Cowleys considering the way they've started the season. Uh, we'll move on, but I would just say to the Cowleys if they're listening, there will be a vacancy at Forest at some point this season. <laughs> so just, just hang on for that maybe. Um, one of the good things about recording on a Wednesday is that we can have Tuesday chat, some key games in the champ last night, uh, if not containing as many OMG moments as Leagues 1 and 2. Borough 1, Wigan nil doesn't sound that inspiring, uh, but a big old result for Jonathan Woodgate, Adrian. He was, right, he was starting to need it. Yeah, I think the fans were liking the style of play, weren't they? But not the not the result. So... So no, it's a big boost for him. Just eases the pressure, doesn't it? He's got he's got a goal scorer, hasn't he, in the Sombolonga there. He's he's proven. And I think in the right kind of team that plays with the right energy and speed, he can he can do some damage. So so no maybe watch them go. I mean Wigan, we talked about them earlier on in the season. We we don't really fancy them, even though they've they've recruited quite well, I think. We don't really fancy them to to push into the top half of the table this season. So that's one of the easier fixtures, but they, they got the three points and yeah, I'd expect them to, to kick on from here. They've got, they've got Millwall, haven't they, at the weekend? That'll be a challenging one. Then Bristol City away, Reading at home. So I, I, think, I think looking at the fixtures, they should be picking up four to six points in the next three. Sam, Adrian mentioned Bristol City there. They won at Derby. Andy Vyman, the X Factor. We love a knee-jerk reaction to one game. Bristol City, can they challenge for automatic promotion? Not in my mind, no. I think I spoke about Bristol City a few weeks ago. You've got to credit Lee Johnson for the signings. Very impressive. Last night and against QPR on Saturday. Found a system 3-5-2, which has got Casey Palmer into his best position as well. So I think that's looking really encouraging. And, and Vyman, as we always speak about, had a, one of those nights last night. Yeah. And it's so frustrating because he's got so many good assets. Great goal. Great assist. I think he got nine during his whole spell at Derby. So he came back to haunt them last night. And I think they were good value for the win. Although Derby, Adrian spoke about it last week about Huddleston and Bielik being in the same lineup. And that seems to be on the uh, the tip of all the Derby fans' tongues this morning. You know, you know, why are those two playing in the same side and why Marriott is not in that team? I know he's he's had an injury, but that goal last night, the way he strikes that and the way that he presses. I think he has to play. And I look at that front four of Derby, Waghorn, Lawrence, Bennett and Dowell. I just don't see that being good enough to challenge. And I've been saying that consistently for the last few weeks. I know they've got Holmes to come back in and I know they've got Bogle to come back in as well. And Marriott, which will give them a better chance of picking up results. But looking at that last night, I just think it's a a very mediocre championship team this season. Yeah, I I think... Both might miss out in the playoffs just just. I think Bristol City maybe got the slightly better chance, but Vyman and Afobi did really well. They're industrious, aren't they? But I remember Vyman, we were raving about him at the start of last season, then he, 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 he during the winter months he he disappeared. So I don't know if he can be relied on to carry on delivering. And, and Afobi, you've just got to look at his record. He, I mean he purple patches when he was a young player. And we know he's a power striker. He got nine last year, seven the season before, and six the season before that. It's quite a long time now since Benicophobia was ripping it up in the Championship. I know he's had spells in the Premier League. So I still think that they're a top-class goal scorer short, Bristol City. I like the look of the new guy. He got rave reviews last night. Han Noah Malengo, 18. Busy midfield player. So he's one to keep an eye on. Uh, elsewhere, how about them Owls? Good at night, obviously, and without the need for a permanent manager. They beat Luton to make it three wins from four. Birmingham bounced back from defeat at the home of the two XCCs by beating Barnsley 2-0. Meanwhile, at the KCOM, worst episode of Batman ever, Blackburn beat Hull by a goal to nil. Derek Williams had one of two key moments here, the other being Christian Walton's penalty save from Jared Bowen, which came in a first half which saw the woodwork struck five times. Uh, Adrian you watch this. We haven't spoken much about Blackburn of late. Bit of a drab end to last season for them. Finish 15th. Any chance of them going up or down this season or are they mid-table? I think they might be mid-table fair. Yeah, it was it was pretty impressive actually because Hull came right at them and they struggled early on in the game, Blackburn Rovers, to, to contain Hull City who were superb for, for 35 minutes in midfield. The, sort of, the axis of, of Stewart's and Batty and Irvine. They were just so busy. They were winning the ball back. And my takeaway from Hull is that they 
are not going to be necessarily a possession team. They're going to be brilliant on turnovers because when they win the ball back, and those three will win the ball back because they're, they're here, there and everywhere, they slip Grzycki or, or Bowen in really early into the box to have chances at goal. I think they're going to be really dangerous in that regard. But they couldn't keep it up last night. They, 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 they blew up really at half-time and, and, and Tom Eves looked low on confidence as the, as the centre-forward. It's not quite clicked for him so far. As for Blackburn, Downing was great. I thought he, he had a terrific game, made the goal with a set piece and in general play, his deliveries were, were outstanding. And yeah, I, I, I just thought they were solid, Blackburn. It's, there's not much to say. Lewis Travis, DM, was neat and tidy. The back, the, the defence, uh, Williams, the goal scorer, w- w- was decent at the back. So now I think they've got plenty to build on. It was, it was really interesting that Mowbray afterwards was, was, was quite miserable, <laughs> even though they'd won the game. And it was a terrific result. You've not been watching football yeah. for the last 20 years. Is <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that interesting or <laughs> no, he was standard? Just, he was just really miserable in terms of, yeah, we made it hard for ourselves, didn't we? I thought it was a really good result and a, a pretty professional performance. My worry for Hull was the keeper. Um, it didn't have a disaster, but a couple of times from crosses, George Long was, was a bit weak. And, and on the goal, he was clearly fouled and there was no fuss made at all by him. I just think he's, he's got to be a bit more dominant as a personality than that. Uh, otherwise, other teams will watch that game and they'll say, right, set plays all around George Long. He, he's made a rub for his own back, I think, there. I think privately he'd be pleased, Tony Mowbray, because the supporters wouldn't have been too enamoured with Bradley Johnson and Stuart Downing being the, the business in the summer. And both of them last night, I only had it on um, in spells on the telly. There was once in the first half, Stuart Downing pushed it down the left-hand side. And I was like, he wouldn't have got that 15 years ago. And he made up the distance. <laughs> he was incredible last night. And Johnson's made a real difference uh, to the midfield. Got so forward, Johnson. Yeah, and two one nils in uh, quick succession after we kind of thought it was going to be a tough season for them seven days ago. Fantastic for them. And with um, Dak and Graham in tandem. You know, they, they could be mid-table, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the other takeaway would be that Armstrong played up top to give them pace instead of Graham. And what I like about it is that he won't just stay in centre-forward position. So he'll, he'll, he'll make runs down the channels and that allows Dak the chance to do what I think he does best and that's get in the box and, and be that secondary striker. So he might have stumbled on something last night with, with that combination. In terms of Hull, Sam, Adrian not that impressed with Tom Eves last night and I saw them play at Brentford on Saturday and thought actually as a team they looked quite good but he struggled a bit. Eves and De Silva Lopez, two interesting signings from League One. Grant McCann obviously was in that division last season. Uh, Have those two players and the manager got what it takes to, to do anything other than be sort of 15th and downwards in the championship? I think they're so exciting going forward that Adrian's right that he really is the missing piece in the jigsaw at the moment and I know his all-round game was fantastic against Reading Tom Eaves but last night he did struggle with the pace of the game to a degree so that is a concern and I was a bit concerned when the move went through because I didn't I wasn't 100% 100% sure that he had what it take to have the mobility to be a success in the championship and st- that's still a big concern for me but now I've got no concerns about the manager I think he's got the potential to be a really good manager Grant McCann and um, I think they've got enough good players it's just when the ball turns over I think defensively they need to improve fullback areas um, they had a good partnership, the two centre-halves, DeFries and um, Burke, uh, towards the back end of last season. So that's not too much of an issue. However, I just think defensively they're, they're going to have to be better. Right, there are games on Wednesday night, but we can't tell you what's going to happen in those because we're recording on Tuesday. Uh, I reckon that... Oh, yeah, it is Wednesday today. You're right. Cool. <laughs> there are games on tonight, but we're not soothsayers yet, so we'll just focus on the weekend ahead. Our pick of the games in the championship is Preston against Sheffield Wednesday. Chris Coleman was odds on for the permanent Wednesday job last time I looked. Sam's mate Gary Rowett, Lee Bullen also in the running. Uh, of course, by the time you hear this, dear listener, Carlos Carvajal will already have been reappointed, rendering this bit pointless. Uh, speaking of which, he's been speaking with our own Nick Miller about his time at Wednesday. And here's what Carlos had to say about the end of his spell at Hillsborough. The problem was after the third season, expectations was more high and high. So everybody expect that we play to the first positions, to the direct promotion. And in the third season, we have a lot of injuries. It's not interesting to talk too much about that. Nine players from first 11 from the, the, the final playoff was out of the team. 
uh, when I leave the club in that moment. And this is my story in Sheffield Wednesday finishing in that moment. Very sad to me because I think I deserve more credit to stay in the team. It was the decision. This is the life. And uh, and I I live in that moment. I stay, of course, very sad because I like I like the club. I like a lot of the Sheffield Sheffield Wednesday. I'm a owl in this moment. I'm an owl in this moment. Wise guy. He also wanted to clear up a few things for you owls fans about the time he left and went to Swansea. Some people said that uh, when I arrived to Swansea, I mentioned that uh, Swansea had contact with me in the past. And the people said that I was talking with them and I'm preparing to go to Swansea. It's completely lie. I I just want to inform all the Sheffield Wednesday uh, fans that after the first season, I was a free manager because I signed all the time just one season. After the second season, I was a free manager again. After the first season, I have invitations to go to the championship, to good clubs. Also, I have one invitation to go to the Premier. After the second season, I receive again invitations to go to championship. Also, I receive two invitations to the Premier. And I prefer stay in Sheffield Wednesday because I said in that moment to the chairman, I just will leave the club when you decide it, not about my decision. So... I had uh, absolutely sure conversations with other clubs because I was a free manager, but I prefer stay in the club. Carlos Carvajal, Carlos Carvalhal, Carlos Carvalhal. They're talking about how lucky fans were to have him stay when tempted left, right, and centre by other clubs. Sam, were they were they lucky to have him say stay? He didn't he didn't get them promoted. Is he promoting himself a bit too much there? Possibly. I think the time was, was right, really. I think it had gone a little bit stale. did well to get him into the, the playoffs that season. But yeah, I'm not entirely sure that the Wednesday fans are too displeased that he, he stepped aside. But obviously, the Lahukai was a, a bit of a disaster. And it's left them in a, a bit of a tricky spot, considering Steve uh, Bruce vacated the job as well. But started the season brilliantly. The one player, the Owls fans, that have been, uh, have been raving about is the defender... Uh, Julian Borner come in, I think, as effectively the replacement for Hector, and he's having a fantastic season. So, so that's a big plus for them. I, I don't think they're going to stay near the top of the table, but but yeah, it's been a great start for them. And I mean, what more can Bullen do really to get the job? I think they should probably give it to him. Well, he might be the future Sheffield Wednesday manager. To hear more from the old one, Carlos, well, read more, then head over to our website. That's thetotallyfootballshow.com for that and much more, including our previous Sammy Meat series with Swindon's Richie Wellens and Millwall's Neil Harris. Uh, Joe Crilly, what odds have you got, you being William Hill, on the following uh, Sheffield Wednesday manager? Who's it going to be? So Lee Bullen's the favourite uh, and he's odds on at five to six. But you wonder if, if they've waited so long to, to appoint him that, they might be looking elsewhere. So in and amongst the runners and riders, you've got Alex Neal, at two to one second favourite, obviously linked with the West Brom job at the end of last season. Sol Campbell, third favourite at six to one. And how about Danny Owley swooping in at 22 to one? Preston v Sheffield Wednesday, the game, what are the markets? What are the odds for that? Preston are seven to five favourites. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday, two to one. And the draw, 23 to 10. How about Leeds to get promoted? Because uh, don't spy for me, Argentina. I mean, Take Us Home is out on Prime and uh, Abby's really enjoying reliving how Leeds remarkably won't promote. Uh, um, so Leeds are 2-1 to one to win the league. They're clear favourites to win the league and they're 4-6 to six to get promoted. Finally, after how many years? 15, 16 years? Not as many as Forrest. Uh, as an aside, in among all the Berry stuff that's going on, Sheffield Wednesday have been awarded the win in their non-existent EFL Cup round one tie, so they go through to round two. Speaking of Berry, that's where we're heading next, not literally on this podcast with our ears, not our legs. Hit the damn sting already, Abby. Saturday night, you've been out watching your club win, hopefully, and all you want to do after a romantic dinner is reminisce on a great day's footing. But how, I hear you ask, with the EFL on Quest, of course... Using your TV, laptop or other device that you like to watch moving pictures on, you can watch all the highlights from Saturday's action on Quest and Quest OD. Quest is the home of EFL highlights on free TV and you can find them at Freeview Channel 12, Freesat 167, Sky 144 and Virgin 217. Or just go online and watch questod.co.uk and if you're lucky you might get to see Sam too. 
This season, we'll be working with Quest, bringing you some special in-depth features and some of the best games of the season. You love it, we love it, so watch it on Quest. Freeview Channel 12, FreeSat 167, Sky 144, Virgin 217, or just go online and on questod.co.uk. League One then, where, shock horror, Sunderland have back-to-back results that aren't 1-1. In fact, they won 2-1 home to Pompey and 2-1 at Rochdale. Naturally, there was a stage where both games were 1-1. Shrewsbury, no goals in three games, scored three in 12 minutes to win at Stanley. Whilst nine, brackets N-I-N-E, man Coventry, come from 3-1 down to pinch point at Pompey. Ah, sweet alliteration. Still, nothing like joy for Berry, mind you. Here's what's shaking shakers wise. Berry versus Tranmere will not be happening on Saturday. This is no longer a surprise with it being the sixth match cancelled. And it's a travesty. Let's not normalise it. Of course, Friday, August the 23rd is the day for Berry to find out their future. Since last week, Steve Dales had a bust up with Stephen Dawson on live radio, supposedly turned down an offer for the club from a former chairman and goodness knows what else. As for the supporters, well, friend of the show, Gregor Robertson, has written for the Times this week on Barry. He interviewed 70-year-old fan Bernadette, who said this. I was born into it. Mum, dad, everybody. I bought my three sons. My eldest sister brought me when I was younger and I've been coming ever since. It's woven into your life. We sit down there in the South Stand and whilst we don't know everyone's names, you feel as they were a family. No matter what's happened in our lives, good, bad, tragedy, there's always been gig lane. All right, Gregor, tell us uh, more about the Berry supporters and how they're feeling. Well, I was up there on, on Saturday when, of course, there should have been a game and the place was shut up and, and tired looking and, and pretty depressing, really. About an hour before kickoff time should have been the only sign of anything that wasn't tired and, and old looking was a brand new front door on reception. Apparently, there'd been a, a Banksy mural, Banksy style mural, had appeared overnight one day last week. So they swiftly took that door off just in case it was real. When the fans converged on Gig Lane, it was just very sad, really. There were so many people with such long-standing connections to the club and hearing their stories. One guy whose some of his father's ashes were buried under one of the penalty spots. His whole family had worked at the club all his life. It was just very, very, very sad. And I think they're all really kind of feeling a bit forgotten about and... Obviously, very fearful for the future. Was there any talk among these fans about a Phoenix club, about the possibility of an AFC Berry? We've seen it before, haven't we? With with clubs, you know, AFC Wimbledon are a good example. Newport County as well, who did come back from the dead, so to speak. Was there any optimism slash excitement at, at the prospect of that if the worst case scenario happens? It was mentioned, but it, it's not really something. I think the prim- primary aim and hope is that Steve Dale will, will come to his senses and accept an offer. There was there was more talk about the prospect of, of bidders out there and prospective buyers out there who, who want to take over the club and they're just the desperation for, for Steve Dale to, to accept an offer. Obviously that could be a Phoenix club could be what happens after after Friday. I, I think really at on Saturday, most of the fans were so focused on the sort of faint hopes of of someone coming along and and taking the club over, and and uh, obviously the season would be a complete write off anyway, but the club would would survive in its, in its current form. Gregor, um, Danny Cowley's come out last night and had his say on uh, everything that's going on in the EFL. Really passionate post-match. I mean, you're so close to it more than anyone. You've been across Bolton and and Bury over the last six months, a year. What have the EFL got to do moving forward once these situations are resolved one way or another? What's the first couple of steps they need to take? It's not an easy question. I mean, uh, I wrote a piece a few weeks about this, just kind of outlining the sheer volume of clubs that are running into into growing debts. And I think, really, the EFL, the first thing they have to do is, is try and tighten up the owners and directors test. But how they do that is, a, is another matter. It's whether... They, they ask for prospective owners to deposit a bond. That's what some people have been speaking about that would cover wages and unpaid tax bills and, and so on and so forth in the event of a default. But the problem with all of any changes to, to regulations is that the ESL is a members club and the, the clubs have to vote through changes. And any any changes by clubs 
that makes it harder for an owner to sell a sell a club, or perhaps makes their investment less uh, less attractive to, to other other buyers. They're not really going to be too keen on keen on uh, on enacting. So it's very difficult, and I think really the whole regulatory framework is is fractured really because you have the EFL, the Premier League, and even the National League, which are all members clubs, and the FA, which are who are pretty impotent really, and. Premier League is king. The disparity between leagues is growing, and as long as clubs have to stretch themselves to to try and progress, or even just to stand still, then I think we're stuck in a situation. Gregor Robertson there, but what next? Well, Friday, as we say, D-Day for the 134-year-old club, and if Bury are to fail to meet the requirements the EFL demand, then they're out, and the number of relegation places in League One will go to three. Promotion from League Two will remain at four. Uh, Steve Dale, EFL higher-ups, anyone else responsible for this, hang your heads in shame and don't raise them again for 134 years. Right, results from midweek. Uh, Stuff that happened on the pitch. There's only one word to sum up Tuesday night in League One, and that word is yowza. We're going to start with Accrington 2, Shrewsbury 3. I did the highlights of this game. My editor, Adam, Shrewsbury fan, he needed a stiff drink and a lie down at full time. Uh, To recap, Shrews came into the game having not scored since opening day and with less up top than Sam. Sorry, Sam. (laughs) They go two down with only 18 minutes left, and then boom, an own goal gets them back in it. Two minutes later, Fajiri Okinabire gets his first of the season for 2-2 2-2 and then on 89 Daniel Udo on his debut out muscles Joe Maguire and wins it Sam that was a dramatic comeback but not as dramatic as the one you were involved in at Vale Park a few years back yeah that was a fantastic evening 3-0 down against playoff chasing Port Vale they had Steve Brooker and Steve McPhee little little and large partnership um, I think they got probably 40 goals between them they'd absolutely terrorised us with 3-0 down and we came back to draw 3-3. I got one, and the equalising goal was scored by Rory Fallon. Forget Mark Hughes, this boy could volley a ball. And he scored some amazing goals. Scottish Cup final, we got a volley. Swansea in a playoff final. I put too much on the cross, to be honest, and he chested it over the line. And we got a point from Port Vale that night. And we actually pipped Port Vale on goal difference to get into the playoffs that year so ultimately it was a really important recovery and I remember Andy King with his big cigar on in the dressing room our manager at the time after the game that's what he used to do um, after a successful away day good good story um, back to 2019 Clark I'd seen Shrewsbury's previous two games to this and they were so blunt up front it was ridiculous so you look at the way that football goes. It was the own goal that got them back in it. And then Okunabire, his first of the season, and then Udo on his debut. It's just little weird things like that which can kickstart a season. Definitely, yeah. It's it's You can see the fear sometimes in an opponent's eyes when they've been cruising. They're, they're, they're loving life. They're 2-0 up. They think it's done. And then you just put, you get that little bit of luck from somewhere and suddenly the body language changes. They retreat often 5, 10, 15 yards deeper and the momentum swings. And football is crazy like that. Yeah, I've been involved in I think I was involved in a 4-1 where we, we were 4-1 down, 15 to go, ended up four apiece. It's, it can happen, the domino effect. So, and, that, and that could change everything for Shrewsbury because Shrewsbury are a new team. And I think that their troubles to this point have mainly been down to the fact that they're getting to know each other. There's Arkanabiri, obviously, is, is someone that's, that's scored for them before, but but a lot of new players bedding in at the same time. And now that they've been through this experience together, this this high, it will probably bond them as a new dressing room as well. So, so watch Shrewsbury go. I think they might have a good run from here. John Coleman called it a freak. And I think you've got to have sympathy with them, I think, this morning, because at 2-0 there was only going to be one winner. And I think sometimes you get those games. I think he said nine times out of ten, they'd beat Shrewsbury comfortably. So I don't think we have to read too much into that from an Accrington Stanley perspective. And he's been really impressed with the strikers, lads that he's got out of non-league. Colby Bishop from Leamington, who's got a fantastic goal-scoring record. Dion Charles from Southport, I understand. And the third one that he's got to choose from is Courtney Baker-Richardson, who you remember, I think, got sent off at Mill last year. Yeah, uh, for, for Swansea. So he's been really impressed with them. 
and um, sometimes you get those freak results. But yeah, credit Shrewsbury and Okanabiri on the bench. I like him. He seems to have that knack of finding goal-scoring positions. Maybe he's not always clinical when he gets in, but he's good. I think he's good for a dozen, 15 goals this season. Serious football analysis. I would add to uh, the discussion that both managers were wearing suits, which is not something you used to get in League One before you could stream the games live in, in <laughs> midweek. Look very good too. Um, another comeback, Ipswich beating Wimbledon 2-1. James Norwood, he's got the best goal celebration gift since Bristol City last season. It's a Stone Cold Steve Austin one, so I like it, obviously. He scored as he had then against Peterborough. Uh, this was after the wonderfully named Nesta Guinness-Walker had put the Dons in front. Only for Caden Jackson to win it on uh, 90 plus four. Just briefly on this, Clarkie, that, that's a big result for Ipswich because if they'd drawn, we'd be saying they're struggling a bit with this League One thing, aren't they? Three draws on the spin. Instead, it's Ipswich, unbeaten start to life <laughs> in the third tier. Yeah, exactly. And, and weirdly, the, the players... Their feelings will be reflected by that as well. They, they were going to train it absolutely buzzing today. And it could have been the other way. It could have been embarrassment. Because, hey, let's face it, we were talking before the show, weren't we, Sam? Ipswich uh, shouldn't, be, shouldn't be in the same division as AFC Wimbledon. The budgets are, are just galaxies apart. So well done for Wimbledon for, for running it so close. Relief, I would imagine, will, will, will have been the initial emotion. Um, and from here on in, yeah, it's it's one of those pep-ups, isn't it, at the right time for Ipswich Town? And isn't it good for them that they've got James Norwood going? I know he missed a pen the other day, but two and two, I think this is going to be a pat. He's going to be a guy we're going to talk a lot about this season. How about Coventry? Guessing a fair few of their supporters are preferring away-away days to away-home days this season. They're certainly worth the trip to Fratton Park for those who made the effort on Tuesday. They were 3-1 down, down to nine men and still nicked a point thanks to Michael Rose's late leveller. Sam, you ever been in a team that's down to nine men? Is it like when you get one player sent off, you're thinking, oh, you know, that's a bit of a shame, that's unlucky. Presumably if you go down to nine, you get a bit fed up with them both, don't you? I can't really recall. no. To, right, to be honest, one. did you? Yeah, we so. played, did you play in the, the Battle of Bramwell Lane? Swans, no. <laughs> Swansea away for South End at Vetchfield. Yeah, just it was a very angry game, <laughs> really angry game. <laughs> and, uh, and I think that our dressing room was. Uh, we didn't leave it in the same state that we found it. Shall we say? I think there might have been holes kicked into tables or walls. It was. Yeah, we, we weren't happy. It wasn't a Gus Poyet thing, though. No, it wasn't nothing to do with him. Okay, no, good. but it was, yeah, it was, it was horrible. Well done. I, mean, I can't remember being down to like nine men and coming back. Normally, it was a bit of a write-off when you're in that situation. Well done, Coventry. By the way, got a good stat, courtesy of Marco Hare, this one. Before last night, Coventry, three games, three clean sheets. They'd only faced three shots on target in total across the first three games. So pretty solid from Mark Robbins' team. The caveat is that they faced Bolton. South End and Bristol Rovers pretty clear the weaker teams, but that tells me that they've got a really good platform to build on this season, Coventry, and uh, and what that comeback will do for their belief is well, we'll find out in the weeks to come. Game I want to look ahead to Sam this weekend in League One is Wickham against South End. Gareth Ainsworth named manager in the EFL's Team of the Week after they beat MK Dons three two. I think he's done a really good job at Wickham on a fairly limited budget. Is there a point where championship clubs start to have a look at him or is he not a fashionable name or am I hyping him up a bit too much? We spoke about it a lot last year, especially when the, the QPR vacancy came up. And yes, he's doing a brilliant job. I think it's quite unfashionable the way that Wickham play. It has been. I think this season we could be seeing signs that it may be different, different for spells during games. I know they bombarded MK Don's towards the end of that game at the weekend and got their reward with David Wheeler getting the goal. But maybe that's something that goes against him. You know, it's a similar type to Wimbledon, if you like. It's based on spirit and organisation and being fantastic at dead balls. But this year, I think with the armoury that they've got, the balance they have in midfield as well, but the top end of the pitch with Onya Dimma, Smith, Wheeler, Akinfenwa, Samuel, the options... I think we could be talking about Wickham having a very good season and not been looking over their shoulders. So, yeah, I, again, I expect them to, to beat Southend for some of the reasons I've just stated, more because I don't think Southend will deal with those balls into the box that Wickham are capable of doing. I think defensively, Southend are all over the place. Before last night, it was seven different defenders he's picked. God knows how many it is this morning. And interestingly, it's 23 games now 
competitive games and seven pre-season games without a clean sheet. And if we just think back to last season, the last clean sheet for Southend was that 4-0 success at Bradford. And I remember it because Bradford were in dire straits at the time. They were in free fall. Every single one of Southend's goals was an absolute worldie. It was, it was ridiculous. Four of the best goals you're ever going to see. So I'm saying that that was a complete freak. <laughs> a complete freak. And Kevin Bond was able to get them organised to get enough points last season. But I'm not seeing a system in place, a style of play. I'm seeing someone who doesn't really know what he's doing at the moment. And it's going to take some enormous work, long days on the training ground, to get this, what they need is to get defensively right, don't they, Adrian? And need to get a 1 0 win by hook or crook and try and build on that. But at the moment, you look at the, the 11 he's putting out there, they're miles away from it's it. It's a mess. It really is. Yeah. The, 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 I've looked at the goals that they're conceding. So weak defending. The marking inside the area has been shoddy for so many of the goals they've conceded already. Shaughnessy's from last night's game against Peterborough. Uh, the tuna defeat. He was the closest man to the player that scored both both occasions. Not close enough. I think there are signs that Kevin Bond is panicking. I play for a lot of those managers. <laughs> when the results start to go awry, they just try things. They try random stuff, and it's the old classic square peg round hole uh, scenario. Elvis Bramona, I think, was was practically right wing. Goodship, who's a striker, was out on the wing. Cox up front on his own. Cox is a number 10, really. He's a guy that, that, that needs a roam. He needs to have a partner. I, don't, yeah, I, think, I think his mind is frazzled. And uh, if they don't win the next game, I'd, I'd be amazed if, if, if Bond is still in place. Uh, Joe, odds-wise, this game, William Hill, is it home win? Is the, uh, the heavy favourite here? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, odds on Wickham, 17-20. to 20, Southend, 16-5 to 5 in the draw. 13 to 5. And in terms of the top scorer market for League One, how's James Norwood looking in that? Looking very good indeed. Uh, he's the 7 to 1 favourite uh, to be the top scorer in League One. Ivan Tony, 8 to 1, and John Marquis, 9 to 1. McNulty, Joe? Your mate, McNulty. He's going to come good. <laughs> <laughs> 20, 25 to 1. So that, that puts him level with. Charity uh, bet. <laughs> <laughs> Can I have um, McNulty's Carabao Cup goal? 1 0 up. Yeah. You give me that? Yeah, I'll give me yes. That. You know, it's funny because on the Wickham South End chat, I was thinking, wow, you two really know your stuff. You do so much research. You don't get this on any other podcast and you've just completely ruined it in, in that one little in, section one of the in show. One in four. I'd have beaten your hand off for that. <laughs> right, League One done. Let's see what's happening in League Two, eh? Listeners, did you know that we've got a new website? It's the thetotallyfootballshow.com and it's got the very best from all of our podcasts plus some red-hot original content, including this week, an interview with Carlos Carvajal, who explains what went wrong at Sheffield Wednesday, who he nearly signed for Swansea, and why he thinks managing in England is paradise. Plus, there's a feature on the joy of Mario Balotelli signing for Brescia, and why Sheffield United are definitely the happiest team in England. Find out for yourself at thetotallyfootballshow.com. League Two, where the grass is new. Abby, please stop writing these rhymes. Headlines, Sol Campbell's Macclesfield TM is no more after they parted company and appointed Daryl McMahon as head coach with Steve Gritt and Danny Whittaker alongside him. They started with a 1-0 defeat at home against Morecambe on Tuesday. At a different M field, this time Mansfield, two of their players, Dion Donoghue and Jacob Mellis, have been suspended for an alleged serious breach of club discipline. That might apply to the rest of the Stags after they let a two-goal lead slip at home to Orient to lose it 3-2 in the 96th minute. Late goals and Tuesday going together like Clarkey and tactical think pieces this week. And on Saturday, Bradford put Owen Doyle on the cover of their programme on the day he scores for Swindon. <laughs> uh, midweek results, stuff that happened in League Two last night. We've done Macclesfield and Mansfield. Plymouth got a last-minute equaliser at home to Salford, making the five-hour drive home for the 143 City fans less than pleasant. Cambridge beat 10-man Scunthorpe 3-2 and Bradford made it back-to-back wins by beating Stevenage. I'm going to have a look ahead to Morecambe against Exeter uh, because producer Abby loves games where both teams have beaches and the two clubs we haven't discussed much in detail this season. Exeter, is this going to be the season that they finally go up, Sam? I wouldn't say so. I think, I said it on Saturday, I think they're quite fortunate to have the points return considering 
Macclesfield should have beaten them on opening day. They've had to rely on late goals. Swindon should have been out of sight in the, the first half on Saturday. And again, they've been starting with this 4-4-2. They've been changing it late in games, withdrawing one of the strikers. And it's proved really fruitful for them. Last night, they did make that change and went with a different system from the off. And they can only muster a nil-nil draw. So it's a difficult one because sometimes if you start with a 4-4-2 and you're on top, the opposition could be getting fatigued by that stage. And then late in the game, you change the system and you ultimately win it. It's it's difficult, you know, when you're looking at it. So that was just something I noticed from the first three games that all the goals had come once they'd made that change. So, listen, I was in the next team that went up to Morecambe. It's never easy. Never easy. I think we handsomely... It's not handsomely at all. We lost 2-0 very comfortably. And they're making a few changes as well, Morecambe. You know, they got the two strikers into the team last night. I think Kevin Ellison was on the bench last night. He has been playing. I think his playing time is probably going to be diminished a little bit. And obviously they got the victory last night. So I think with Buxton and Cranston, who essentially are defenders in the wide areas last night, a little bit more solid while still having that goal threat at the top of the pitch. So wouldn't be surprised if Morecambe got their first home win of the season. Yeah, I saw that Morecambe win at Macclesfield uh, on Tuesday night. And, and for all that they had two up front, it was two centre-halves combining for their goal. Absolutely lovely ball from Stephen Old, Richie Sutton putting it in. Uh, that felt like a big win for the Adrian because Macclesfield probably going to be down with Morecambe, who you know I'm assuming are going to be doing what they've been doing for the last few seasons. But they've got the experience of of how to deal with this, especially with you know you've got somebody like Ellison to come on who won <laughs> innumerable free kicks in the time he was on just to break up play that kind of thing. Yeah, they're used to scrapping it out, aren't they? Uh, when the pressure is on, they're, they're, they've always been a fairly functional team. They've always had match winners though, haven't they? That have been able to. To, to score goals out of the blue Morecambe they, they often have good starts and then tail off and then just about save themselves not had a brilliant start have they this time around so so I wonder how how that will affect them moving forward so I think Lewis Al- Alessandro was a decent pickup didn't work well for him at Notts County nothing worked for Notts County did it but he's a player that's, that's always knocked goals in at League 2 level so so he might be someone that, that makes a difference for them but yeah I think They'll be bottom half for sure, Morecambe. It might it might be a relegation struggle for them. Odds on the game against Exeter, Joe. Morecambe are seventeen to ten to win the game. Exeter favourites at six to four, and the draw twelve to five. How about promotion and relegation in League Two? We'll start with promotion. Bradford and Plymouth still the top two in that market, eleven to eight and seven to four. Salford two to one, Mansfield nine to four. Exeter up there as well. They're seven to two, sixth favourites alongside Forest Green. And relegation, the departure of Sol Campbell means that Macclesfield are the favourites. They're three to one, Morecambe seven to two, and Oldham four to one. Where are the mighty Cambridge, my local team? Because what, they're relegation. No, well, it, they're 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 flying high. They're like surprise package. I think I think it was a brilliant result for them in the A six oh four derby at Colchester <laughs> last weekend, and uh, and obviously they beat beat Scunthorpe in the week. No, I just I, I've just been really surprised by by Cambridge United. They've they've started the season really well. Uh, apropos of absolutely nothing, Callum asks: Is George Pushkas already the greatest Championship striker ever to live? Well, it's a great signing on the face of it, isn't it? He was outstanding in the, was it the under-21s tournament? I think he was the uh, named in the uh, player of the uh, the team of the, the tournament. What a start he's had, um, obviously, in the, the Carabao Cup. And then that first goal at the weekend was, was breathtaking. But they, they paid a lot of money for him and he's been signed on to a long-term contract, which a few Reading fans have been quick to point out uh, on the Twitter feed this morning. So that's been a great start for him. And, and Reading... I know the fans are, are really excited about the, the, the start in 11, certainly, that the managers put together. It was the best performance of the weekend, you'd have to say, in the championship. And um, it's about time they've had something to cheer because we've been sat on this show for the last couple of years bemoaning the, the managers, the lack of a, a style of play, and um, it's not been great. So, great start for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be at the West Brom Reading game, so, so I'll have more to say about the Royals next week. You're going to have two dinners again? They're going to let you in. <laughs> well, I hope so. You're not going <laughs> double so. carbs again, though. Was there any comeback from that? No comeback at all. No, I'm, look, I could, my body can just take these things. I'm very fortunate in that regard. Um, but no, <laughs> looking forward to it. Um, Ajaria and Swift, I think, have started the season really well. So um, 
uh, as well as Puskas, who is just a little bulldog, isn't he? I really like. I like the combination with him and Xiao. That's. Uh, I, I don't think they're going to be dynamo every single week, but there'll be occasions where the pair of them are probably unplayable. But it might be a one in three job. So West Brom again tonight for Adrian Sam. Conflict of interest for you tonight, really, isn't it? You're at the Valley, Johnny Jackson, big mate of yours, but obviously I have no loyalty to you whatsoever. What? <laughs> Nip that in the bud straight away. <laughs> um, I, I love Forest. I'll go back to the 90s. My dad didn't. He refused to take me to QPR v Wimbledon or or QPR against Sheffield United because of the direct football. Forest. We were in there at five past two, reading the programs. Loved it. Should be a good game, actually, shouldn't it? Conor Gallagher, who we know well, has had a great start for Charlton and Forrest all of a sudden have picked up a win. I think Forrest were exceptional against yeah. Birmingham. I think they were helped by Birmingham trying to play a bit more football this year and being a bit open, but it could have been five or six. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it tonight. Charlton's performance against Stoke was exceptional. We've got another good point at the weekend. And Gallagher, as you rightly say, has been so important because I was thinking about it on the way and actually he's not the same type of player as Joe Aribo but in terms of the output at the moment getting in the box and scoring goals he's a bit more you know plays two touch rather Joe Aribo was a dribbler and goes beyond people but essentially he's taking his place in the side and he's got two goals in the last two games Joe you're probably going to get a game for Bolton this weekend where would you play if you were picked a goalkeeper I've always been a goalkeeper so I'll be but then I think Bolton have got two of their five senior players are goalkeepers so I probably wouldn't get into that team. Oh, how sad is that? <laughs> Literally the only chance you'll ever have and that is the one position that they're stuck. Uh, yeah, yeah. I just I just hope Bolton what this sales it's got to go through hasn't it? I mean it's dragging on and on. Have they got any money this this proposed uh, firm? I'm desperately trying to think who was in goal for Bolton in the 90s at Burnham Park. I've got Keith, nothing. Keith? Keith Brannigan? Before you see Ascalon. Dave Felgate? Keith Brannigan's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. Perfect. Thanks Joe. <laughs> no worries. All right, I'm going to be in the chair for the next few weeks as Caroline and I split hosting duties in order to keep us fresh for the entirety of the season. Presenter Welfare, I think it's called. See you Wednesday then. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com.